You're listening to Comedy Central. May 9, 2019. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. filmmakers with an incredible new HBO documentary. It's about the foster care system. Mark, Jonathan, Harris, and Deborah Oppenheimer joining us, everybody. (laughs) Also coming up on tonight's show, sexism could win the presidential election. The second biggest economy in Africa had its election, and Grand Theft Auto comes to real life. So, let's catch up on today's headlines. First up, over the past few weeks, there have been a slew of stories about how extreme police are in America. Police in San Diego, police in Missouri, and of course, the fashion police who covered the Met Gala. (laughs) Good Lord, they were ruthless. Are you telling me a T-shirt isn't camp? What did you wear to camp, you assholes? (laughs) But of all these examples of extreme police, a video that came out yesterday is one of the craziest things I've ever seen. Newly released police video shows Anaheim officers firing 76 shots in a busy residential neighborhood during a police chase last year. (laughs) 76 shots. One of the officers in the video was dismissed. The other was placed on leave. Investigators called their actions alarming and irresponsible. But prosecutors say despite this video, there was not enough evidence to file criminal charges. God damn. That cop fired 76 shots? Like, I don't know what training he got, but it was not at a police academy, all right? Like, police academies teach you how to control a situation. They teach you how to properly use your firearms and how to make sound effects, okay? That was not from a police academy. (laughs) And it's wild. It's wild that they say the prosecutors watched that footage and still couldn't charge the cop for anything. He fired 76 bullets all over the streets. The least you could charge him for is littering, at least, (laughs) at least. Like, this guy, like, I don't even know who he's... Like, he's shooting through the windshield. The window is right there. (laughs) Yeah, just switch your gun to your left hand. And, yeah, you may not be as accurate, but after the 70th shot, does it even matter? (laughs) The one piece of good news is that this guy has been fired. Yeah, the bad news is that now he's an Uber driver. Airport? (laughs) Don't worry, I know a shortcut. Bat, 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 bat. So, just visiting? Bat, 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 bat. All right, let's move on to some big tech news. Today, one of the co-founders of Facebook announced that he thinks Facebook should be broken up. Yeah, which sounds like somebody is sick of seeing his ex's new baby photos. (laughs) But seriously, though, I, I don't know how this would work. You know, if they break up Facebook, how do you break up Facebook? You know, would they split it up with all the things that it does? Is that how it works? So now I'll have a Facebook that just reminds me when my friend's birthdays are, and then a separate Facebook that gives me wrong news, and then one more Facebook (laughs) that sells my data to Russia. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) Honestly, if you ask me, you don't have to break up Facebook, okay? If you want to reduce Facebook's influence, just change Facebook's logo to make it look like the Snapchat app, and then no one will use it. (laughs) And finally... Oh, Snapchat slam! (laughs) Oh! 
My dad works for Snapchat. <laughs> and finally, some news for parents. If you buy secondhand toys for your kids, you may want to check what's inside the box. All right, $40,000 worth of meth found by a child inside a Lego box. Mm. Police in South Carolina say a woman bought the Lego set at a thrift store in Charleston and took it home to Georgia. They gave the Legos to a child who opened the box and discovered the meth. Drug enforcement officials say the box could have been purchased in a storage auction before making its way to the consignment shop without anyone questioning its contents. Okay. I have so many questions. <laughs> First of all, how did that kid know it was meth? <laughs> you telling me there was some seven-year-old out there like, yeah, it's meth, but it ain't the good shit. Seriously, this sounds like something that would happen in a movie, you know? Like, it probably started well with some dealer who was like, okay, go to the thrift shop. There's a box of Legos on the third shelf on the right. The drugs are inside. And then they get there, and then the box is gone. So on one side of town, there's a drug dealer who's like, where's my drugs, man? Where's my drugs? And on the other side of town, there's a kid punching his dad. Where's my Legos, dad? Where's my Legos? I'm sorry, Timmy. I swear I thought it was Legos. Shut up! Go sell this mat so we can buy more Legos. <laughs> I will say meth is probably the best drug for playing with Legos. Yeah, that kid is gonna be up all night building a life-size Empire State Building, <laughs> just buzzing hard, like, everything is awesome, everything is cool when you're part of a team, everything is awesome. All right, that's it for the headlines. Let's move on to our top story. <laughs> Let's talk about South Africa, my home country and place where I have many outstanding warrants. Yesterday, South Africa held its presidential election. And I know you guys think that we elect our leaders by holding them over the edge of a cliff, all right? <laughs> but that's, that's just for the primaries. In the general election, we do it normally, just like you. Ballot boxes, polling places, and even people on the news trying to predict the results before the votes come in. We've seen quite a number of opinion polls make predictions. We thought uh, tonight uh, we would uh, invite a traditional healer, Gogon Toleng. What are you seeing about uh, this election? Let me just ask the ancestors. As I ask the ancestors and I look into my calabash, the ANC will be the ruling party again. And it will be 60.7%. Wow. <laughs> the ancestors are really specific. 60.7%. Yeah, wouldn't it be funny if it turned out she just had an iPhone inside that calabash? She's just like, uh, the result is, sorry, the ancestors' Wi-Fi is really slow. Hold on, hold on. And before you try and judge Africans for using witch doctors to predict election results, I would argue they're just as reliable as anyone on CNN. Yeah, they are. And it's like, judging by the yard signs, my gut tells me Hillary's gonna win by a landslide. I can feel it, I can feel it. <laughs> I will say this. Can you imagine being one of the ancestors and getting a question like this? <laughs> no, think about it. You're like a village chief who died 600 years ago, waiting to provide guidance about the mysteries of life. And then you get a question like, who's gonna win the election? <laughs> I bet you the ancestors are like, what? How dare you waste my time with this? Throw it away. Oh, good, another question. What? Will there be another sex in the city? God damn it! <laughs> of course there won't be. Carrion Big found true love. <laughs> now, the reason this election in South Africa was so important 
is because everyone is waiting to see if the ruling party, the ANC, will hold on to their power. And it could be close, because South Africa is dealing with many issues, some of which might sound familiar. South Africa has the highest inequality in the world. Researchers say more than 90% of national wealth is owned by 10% of South Africans who are mainly white. About 80% who are mostly black own nothing. That's right. Decades after apartheid, or apartheid as it's called here, South Africa is still super divided along racial lines. And I know all the Mandela movies make it seem like everything turned out okay. Yeah. But after the cameras stopped rolling, South Africans were like, all right, that was nice. Let's go our separate ways, everybody. All right, bye-bye. <laughs> we'll come back for the next movie. And it's not just income inequality affecting the people. No, many of South Africa's youth feel that their future isn't looking too bright. In the last three years, thousands of students have protested against higher university fees and demanding free education for students. Education in South Africa has become, has become so expensive in that even those who are middle class can afford to study anymore. Student debt continues to rise. Government subsidies per student declines. Yeah. Students in South Africa are so mad about the high price of college, they're even burning down the schools in protest, which is one way to get rid of student debt. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you can't owe the university if there is no university. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty smart, pretty smart. I mean, look at that. They literally set fire to a piece of their campus. American students might feel the burn. South African students just burn, yeah. <laughs> This is up there. Wouldn't it be funny if we have an African Bernie who's up there and he's like, those college rates are too high, too high. We need to bring it all down. Burn it, burn it, burn it, burn it. Oh, and this might shock some Americans to see, uh, but did you know some South Africans aren't too fond of immigrants either? 25 years into democracy, communities who feel let down by their government quick to blame African migrants for every social ill. We get a lot of uh, foreigners into the country here and our local guys that can't get jobs. Foreigners are bringing drugs and weapons to our poor communities. We don't want them here. We are not xenophobes. We just don't want them here. Good Lord. If Trump sees that woman, he's gonna fall in love. <laughs> he's gonna be like, ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce you to my new head of ice, Gugu. M mash, mash, sh goo goo, ma ma <laughs> Lady Goo Goo, everybody. Lady Goo Goo. Lady Goo Goo. Oh, oh, and speaking of Trump, speaking of Trump, South Africa also has a popular anti-establishment politician in this election. His name is Julius Malema. And if you think Trump is bad, <laughs> wait until you see how Julius treats the press. These crooks who are calling themselves journalists. You see, the problem here at home is that we are not that advanced with our journalists. Depends on the, on the, How on do you the... reassure the foreign investors? No, no, you must give me a chance to speak unless you want to have this interview with yourself. You are a small boy, you can't do anything. I didn't come here to... Come me. out, go out. Bastard! <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That is the best ending to an interview I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, forget no comments. I'm gonna go with that from now on. Trevor, why did you wear a t-shirt to the Met Gala? Bastard! Come on! Bastard! You bastard! And if you're one of those people thinking right now, you know what, Trevor? This doesn't seem too extreme. He just hates the press. Well, uh, you might wanna buckle up for this one. Policeman that enjoys shooting at black people. You want to shoot? 
are you thirsty to shoot? Go to parliament. That parliament is full of thugs and criminals. Go and shoot them randomly. Don't select. I don't, I, 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 I don't know what's going to happen in the future. I'm saying to you, we've not called for the killing of white people, at least for now. I can't guarantee the future. God damn. He just, he just speaks about genocide, like he's talking about remodeling his kitchen. He says like, yeah, so maybe I will break down that wall and change those cabinets and kill all the white people, but I don't know, I don't know, you never know. I don't know, actually that sounds crazy. Maybe I'll leave the cabinets, you're right, you're right. Now, I hope it's obvious, but I do not support the killing of all the white people, all right? Yeah, that would be horrible. Half my family is white. I'd spend all my time at funerals. I don't have the time for that. So as it stands, the results of South Africa's election are still coming in. And we won't know the winner until Saturday. So uh, best believe I'll be clicking refresh on my calabash until then. We'll be right back. just 544 days away from the 2020 presidential election. And there are now 21 Democratic candidates in this primary race, (laughs) which is insane. Look at all those faces, huh? Look at all of those faces. Who do you pick or choose? (laughs) One upside, though, is there are also more women running than ever before. Yeah. (laughs) Ah, you, you might wanna save your applause because unfortunately, they're facing some unique challenges. You see this incredible surge of women across the country, and yet the political coverage of this historic record number of women running for president is wildly skewed. And uh, there's been studies that are showing not only that the coverage has been lower in terms of the numbers of hours, the just pure FaceTime and discussion of female candidates, but when they are covered, they are covered in negative terms. That's right. It turns out women aren't getting as much media coverage as their male counterparts. The question is why? To help us find out, we're joined by our senior gender issues correspondent, Desi Lydic, everybody. (laughs) So, Desi, I have to ask, what do you think about female candidates getting less coverage than the males? Well, I'm offended, Trevor, not just as a woman, but as a person who enjoys camera time. (laughs) Yeah. Desi, and, and you know what's really oh, no, messed no, no, up? No, 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 camera, stay on me, stay on me. Nice try, Trevor. And female candidates aren't just getting less camera time. When they do get coverage, people talk about them like this. Kamala Harris, she's running for president. She does what she does. She's snitty. She did her little thing. That's Kirsten Gillibrand. She reminds me of a wafer. You know, you put it in your mouth, it's odorless, it's colorless, and then you think to yourself, what did I just eat? Senator Harris has California and South Carolina advantages. She's very attractive. Elizabeth Warren is a scold. Elizabeth Warren has a likability problem. Kamala, she wouldn't even answer any of their questions. Instead, she just acted like she is beautiful, (laughs) uh, which is how she handles everything. Do you think she's beautiful? Look at those pipes, smooch. Yeah, it's not doing it for me. No? I just got to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, it's just, she's, she's not going to make the next Jane Fonda fitness uh, <laughs> video. Ooh, Scaramucci with the burn. I think he's just mad that she lasts longer in the gym than he did in the White House. <laughs> yeah, you know what? You know what? Instead of my 
female candidates based on their looks, Scaramucci should be out looking for his neck. <laughs> but you know, it's always been like this for female candidates. Like when Congresswoman Shirley Chisholm ran in 1972, this is how the news covered it. This is the CBS Evening News with Walter Cronkite. A new hat, uh, rather a bonnet, was tossed into the Democratic presidential race today, that of Mrs. Shirley Chisholm. That's right, she threw her bonnet into the race, which is offensive and also makes no sense. Trevor, have you ever tried to throw a bonnet? I can't say that I have. Well, I haven't. It is not easy. I do a lot of Handmaid's Tale cosplay on the weekends. <laughs> You know, and once Chisholm was running, it only got worse. The press focused on her height, her weight, her shoes. They even said she was playing vaginal politics, which makes it sound like women just vote with our vaginas. We don't. I mean, I can hold a pencil with mine and certainly fill out a ballot, but I make my decisions, not her. Yes, I know you're hungry. We're almost done. Look, there is just something about a woman running for president that brings all the sexism to the surface. And I don't have to remind you what happened in the 2008 election, but I will anyway. Men won't vote for Hillary Clinton because she reminds them of their nagging wives. Is there somebody in your life whose voice just sticks in your ear like an ice pick? Well, Hillary Clinton has a voice like that. It makes me, makes me envy the death. She's also shrill right. and angry, and she All needs right. to lighten up a little bit. And when Hillary Clinton speaks, men hear, take out the garbage. There's just something about her that feels castrating, overbearing, and scary. I have often <laughs> said, when she comes on television, I involuntarily cross my legs. Okay, first of all, that was horrendous. But also, castrating, crossing your legs. Tucker, what's going on with your balls? <laughs> Are they just a set of Fabergé eggs? Are you scared you'll lose them and they'll go into hiding with Scaramucci's neck? <laughs> and by the way, calling Hillary a nagging wife is also offensive to wives, because wives are awesome. Look, we plan parties, we dry your fantasy football tears, and not to mention all those birthday BJs. That's when you get him Bon Jovi tickets for his birthday, men love that. Oh, oh wow. I should get my brother a birthday BJ then, that's dope. Uh, so, so Desi, um, if this has always been, he loves Bon Jovi. Well, no, uh, yeah, but... If this has always been the trend, then it doesn't seem like it's gonna get much better for 2020. Well, okay, actually, there is one big difference that gives me hope. See, in 2008, Hillary was the only woman running. So she had to carry the weight of all the sexism. But now there's at least five women, so they can share it. There's safety in numbers. I mean, that's why we go to the bathroom together at bars. And now, it's how we'll run for president. Desi Lydic, everybody. Don't forget, don't forget. Desi has a really funny new special exploring gender equality around the world. It's called Abroad, and it premieres Monday night at 11 on Comedy Central. One more time, Desi Lydic, everybody. We'll be right back. The Daily Show. My guests tonight are Academy Award winning filmmakers whose new HBO documentary is called Foster. Please welcome Mark Jonathan Harris and Deborah Oppenheimer. <laughs> welcome to the show. 
Okay. And congratulations on another successful uh, documentary, which is honestly one of the, I, I think, broadest documentaries I've watched on the foster care system. You know, a lot of the time when we see stories on foster care, it's often a news story and it's either extremely negative or extremely positive. A great family, the worst family ever. But watching this, you realize it is a much more complicated story than that. Why did you choose this topic? Um, Mark and I had enjoyed working together with each other on Into the Arms of Strangers and wanted to do something else. We were looking for a new subject and I have one of these children in my life. I met him when he was six years old when I was volunteering in a local school. And even then he was charismatic and positive and a leader in the class. And when I asked the teacher what his story was, I found out that he was living in an orphanage. He had been removed from his parents' home and I went home sobbing and resolved to continue to work with him. It's been 25 years. Wow. He's 31 years old now, and he's a great success story. And I thought I had never met a foster youth or encountered the foster care system, and an awful lot of people I knew had never encountered it either. Right. It, it, it really is a fascinating story that takes you through different journeys and different lives, because it's not just a documentary about foster kids. It's about foster parents. It's about social workers who change their lives or govern their lives. And that clip was really interesting there, Mark, because it shows you that it's not as simple as you think. People go, kids having a bad time at home, just take them away and get them to a foster home. But that in of itself, strangely enough, can become the problem. It's another, tra another trauma to be taken out of your family, your home. Uh, those are the two big things, the uh, loss of, in a child's life, family and home. Then you're put into another home. And often you're taken out of that home as well. 20% of the kids in foster care end up spending at least two years in foster care. And that's a failure. When you look at the foster care system in America, uh, do, you, do you regard it as a, as a success? Do you regard it as a failure? Or, or what do you think could be changed, having spent, I think, four years on this project documenting the system inside and out? I think uh, the foster care system is a reactive system. It reacts when kids are in crisis, after they've been hurt. Uh, a lot of kids say, I wish you had gotten to my mother and father before you took me out. We have to move toward a more public health model, a preventative model, intervention before crisis rather than intervening after crisis. What do you find are the best steps people can take to create successful foster environments for children? I think the importance of one consistent caring adult who sticks with a child and cheers their successes and commiserates their losses is vitally important and, can and it can make all the difference in a right. child's life. I think getting the parents the support they need, um, getting the foster parents the support they need, and certainly giving the children the services and the, um, and the uh, support that that we know that children need once they've been removed from their home. And also, we know that foster care is the result of neglect way more often than abuse. And so if we can move toward um, preventing that from happening, that would be great. Are there any misconceptions in and around the foster care system that you think need to be changed? <clears throat> so there are stereotypes and judgments against the parents, the foster parents, the social workers, the children. People believe that it's the children's fault. They believe that parents do terrible things to their children when the they're- Children believe it's their fault too, because they don't have- Wow. No, <laughs> uh, they have no way of explaining what happened. Uh, it's also, I think, you can't look at the foster care system in isolation. It's a symptom of larger social issues that are unaddressed. Poverty, 
drug addiction, mental health, undiagnosed mental health, uh, lack of opportunities, uh, racism, all that is reflected in who ends up in the foster care system. One thing I know about documentaries is, you know, yes, they bring light to an issue, but oftentimes the filmmaker hopes to give the audience some sort of clarity or some sort of idea of how they can move the world forward. If somebody's watching this film, what is the one thing you would want them to take away? Is, is it just the knowledge of what's happening or is it something that you would want them to try and achieve? Well, I, as I said before, I think it's important to see that we have to do more to help the uh, ki families, struggling families, before they get to this crisis point. Right. Uh, that would be one thing. That taking children out of a family, it's only a temporary me measure. That's not the final solution to, the, to these problems. Well, I'll tell you this. It's a beautiful story that is as complicated as life is, and I hope everyone goes out and watches it. Thank you so much for well, being thank on the you, show. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Foster is now available on HBO Go and HBO Now. Mark Jonathan Harris and Deborah Oppenheim, everybody. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.